A very quick intro because we've got lots to talk about here on the Emerging Cricket Podcast this week. Two new patrons, Liz Lynch and Jan Alexander. Thank you so much for joining the EC movement. Join patreon.com forward slash Emerging Cricket for exclusive content like an exclusive full-length version of this show. Let's jump straight into it. Oh, that guitar sound means one thing. The Emerging Cricket Boys are back in the flesh. All three. The Dream Team is back. Nick, so well done carrying us last week between yourself and Tom with Ahmed Raza. We had that lined up for ages and ages with Ahmed. Finally found a time we could record. But the Emerging Cricket Podcast is back in full flow for 2022 recording on Richie Benno day the 2nd of the 2nd 2022 that's 222022 for those playing at home even if you are doing the american dates <laughs> boys so good to be back daniel bezwick with you nick skinner tim cutler first show of 2022 for me how are we tim i'm looking at you sat on the couch in port vila uh looking out into the sunset and and looking quite buoyant in a joyful mood welcome back to everything going on in emerging cricket and the podcast that goes with it how are you what's going on you uh you lost your script didn't you yeah look (laughs) never i uh it's in a google doc somewhere i might have forgotten that i needed it when i started but you know Look, don't don't get me wrong. This is a, this is a great intro. I feel like we've had the the holiday programming on from you know early <laughs> December. And I'm look, I'm, I'm I'm not talking Nick's hosting abilities down, but it's kind of like we can only show so many repeats of Hawaii Five O, and it's uh, back to. I don't, I don't know how to take that, Tim. Yeah, wow. <laughs> <laughs> look, you know, you, you know, we love you. No, it's all your kids are back at school. The podcast is back. The world is healing. I'm well. A little bit stormy over here at the moment. I think uh, I've I've almost filled out my bingo card we've had uh one uh tsunami tick a volcanic eruption on one of the islands recently tick um you know the earthquakes continue in earnest tick there's a real good one a couple of weeks ago it was no bigger than the normal ones but it was right underneath us 5.1 on mr richter's scale good fella yeah good fella good fella a little bit shaky though i find yeah (laughs) restless tremor syndrome when you shake his hand (laughs) So it's been quite quite wet in the last week and a bit, which, it, you know, I'm no expert. It's my first year here, but it feels like the tropical cyclones, tropical storm season, season is sort of coming a little later than normal. And with cricket starting up again this week, it's a little bit concerning. But in saying that, you know, it's raining and then the clouds disappear and it's absolutely majestic. So I just hope it, it comes and goes at the right time so we can get some cricket and we women's sixes kicking off the, the season here for 2022. Uh, personally, yeah, Christmas was good, but uh, yeah, I think uh, it's a bit like pressing the repeat button in terms of COVID situation here. It's still nothing in the community. There's been a couple of cases found on repatriation flights prior to December, but there's been no incoming passenger traffic since early December, so we remain the same. So we're waiting for updates from the government as to when the border will reopen. They've reduced quarantine from 14 down to 10 days, which is a plus from a financial and time point of view. But with a lot of cricket planned, including hosting probably three different international tours or events here in the back 
end of this year. Fingers are crossed. But again, I wouldn't really like to be the person making that decision at the moment because, you know, we don't exactly have a medical system that's set up to deal with something that's going right through the community. So it's it's going to be a fine balance and some pretty strong protocols in place for if and when they do reopen. But that's... Uh, that's pretty much me. Daniel, what about you? I, I hear that you were marooned in a Melbourne hotel room for all of the BBL and you're, you're now home and your PNG shirt from the World Cup turned up three months after the World Cup finished, but you're, you're now okay. How was Melbourne and how's life? I need to clarify, I got a Namibia one and an Omani one as well, just to kind of keep the collection ticking along. Uh, they'll be good. Uh, polo shirts for when I try to hit a little white ball around myself uh, starting probably at some point next week when I decide to to go away but yeah uh, look it was a very long eight weeks I managed to get home briefly for Christmas but the best part of eight weeks stuck in Melbourne doing two jobs at a time didn't count how many BBL games I ended up doing because if I was counting them I think the season would never have ended but it was I think it was over 30 games did about 20 16 hour days with the other day job taking up the daytime and uh, i think i only had uh, it would only be a handful of days in the eight weeks where i actually had a full day off and most of those days i was actually sort of prepping for other work days so i'm very glad to be home to be perfectly honest uh and only going to be back home for i think a total of about 18 days and then off to new zealand for the women's world cup starting with 10 days quarantine in auckland which i can't really say i'm looking forward to with too much uh excitement but hopefully i'll have a regimented sort of daily routine and plan and doing some work while in the actual facility to to kind of get me through that but otherwise really good there's been plenty of emerging cricket going on in this time and nick you've managed to sort of hold the fort in all of this uh time over the course of of christmas and and the new year we've had the under 19 world cup going on with plenty of associate presence you caught up with ahmed raza as we said at the start of the show with tom grunshaw great listen uh managed to catch up on that as i was traveling home but How's things on your end? What's been going on in the life of uh, Nick Skinner and emerging cricket? I suppose. Well, it's it's been a while, hasn't it? Um, been had had uh, you know the Christmas break, and then it rolled into the New Year, and I was up in Queensland visiting relatives and all of that sort of stuff, and and then sort of just moved into the the next year of uh, back at work, and been a lot of things going on, but um, back into the swing of things, I, I think. Having this kind of a weekly ritual is uh, is pretty good. It gives kind of a bit of structure to everything we do, um, and we we base a lot of our kind of uh, movements around what's going on on the pod. So just having having this back in the life's uh, pretty good for for my uh, I guess discipline in in emerging cricket stuff as well. So uh, yeah, looking forward to it. Let's go back to some of Tim's chat regarding Vanuatu. He did sort of tease some international events going on potentially in the in the latter half of the year. Tim, I'm not going to press you on that because I know you're not going to give me anything there. But <laughs> there has been news out of Vanuatu with, with Jeremy Bray leaving, which is disappointing from, from your perspective. I'm sure, you know, all the class that he brings into that role sadly missed, but you could tell us more about it in terms of what he's doing and some of the other goings-on in Vanuatu to kick us off. Sure. Um, I did put a line into the, the release saying that there's there's nothing sugar-coated here. I think, you know, you see so many releases that, you know, somebody has decided to return for family reasons or, you know, misses their cat or something, I'm not sure. And look, with, with everything that's going on at the moment with COVID travel restrictions, 
I'm, I'm really disappointed that Jeremy has had to resign, but I completely understand and support his decision to stay in Ireland. Look, he was absolutely fabulous while he was here for those that have or haven't read um, about that and we, we put it out. You know, some of the things he, he did in his time here will have long-lasting positive impacts. You know, one of those was integrating the women's professional players in with the men, which saw them improve out of sight, but just that approach and that sort of innovation um, and problem-solving thinking that you need in a place like this it was just great and he and I just clicked very similar values which meant that we would sort of back to back on a lot of things um, and I think it really sort of instilled a good discipline's the wrong word it makes you sound like a headmaster but just a really good set of values and what was expected from everyone by living them and also expecting it from the players and the and the staff so look I can only hope that him being back in Ireland now even though he sounds like he's just got off the boat from Australia you know Ireland's been his home for decades and he went back there in early November um, because his fiance was going to have a back operation and then that was postponed indefinitely because of COVID so she's hobbling around like she's you know 80 as opposed to 40 and then at their wedding in December her father had a had an attack and was admitted to hospital and is not in a good way so it just meant that with the amount of cricket that we've got on second half of this year you know thus me mentioning before you know talking about borders just wasn't feasible for him to be spending the time away and there are a few other little things around travel and family and whatnot but really it was just one of those wasn't so much a no-brainer but when he said it was, there was an inevitability about it but you know these things happen and there are occasional times where life is actually a little bit more important than cricket <laughs> very rarely <laughs> very rarely very rarely so you know not that he needs to go with my blessing but he is abs- absolutely you know is the opposite of no blessings <laughs> and uh look, I, re- I really hope that Ireland pick him up somewhere in his system because so I think he's he's been gone from there for a while and you know I think he's their best domestic run scorer ever by a distance and for all the years of service and and his skill set now I think compared to when he left um, his coaching gig that he took up in Ireland just after starting there to to what he picked up in Denmark and elsewhere with the other courses he's just for for Ireland's sake I, I hope that, and. Well, I hope they pick him up and, and for him because just a lot easier with family and, and all those things. But who knows, he could also get a trip on this gravy train that is the uh, franchise coaching market. He's going to break into those bubbles where uh, matey mateys keep sort of coaching together and, and whatnot. But if, you know, he'd be an asset to... I feel like I should record this as his, uh, as his <laughs> CV. But no, he'd be an asset to, to any country that he, he coaches. I think he's already signed up for a, a club there in Ireland and hopefully um, that's just a... well. No mean feat to have to coach a high class club there, but it's just a stepping stone to something bigger for him. So yeah, that was that was negative news that sort of happened the last couple of, of weeks. But the good news on, on that bit sort of mentioning the women's players is that Selena signed up for fair break again, you know, in the past uh, nice uh, well, Nassim Mana, sorry, her full name had played as well, but I think you can see the number of players from how many countries are involved in fair break that I don't think we've seen many where there are two from, from the same country, except for perhaps some of the big ones and, and Hong Kong with them looking to originally host it. You know, it's now been moved to Dubai and the fact that the lead sponsor is in he's in Hong Kong as well and uh, his daughter is now part of it as well so um, yeah so that's going to be great for her I think Selena's never been to Dubai well out of Dubai airport before so it's going to be an amazing experience for her I'm I'm, I'm hoping they're not going to be contained in a bubble the whole time they'll be able to to get out and about but that'll be 
great experience. She keeps talking about how all these great players around her and that she's played with and against and she's in awe. And it's like, yeah, but uh, sorry, you were player of the match in, uh, <laughs> in, in, that, in that first game. So hopefully take the confidence and can come back an even better player. So that's on the cricket side. And then we're also looking for a, a new marketing manager after Melissa Fare unfortunately left us for greener pastures working with five separate Aussie NGOs here and might also be going off for a scholarship soon so that was a huge loss too so the same way that uh, in the Simpsons episode you know, I hear that's a cartoon that uh, the kids watch <laughs> um, it, you know when, when the camera goes down and you can see you know Vishnu in the middle of the earth pressing all the buttons and getting tired Nick's doing that for Emerging Cricket at the moment and, and that's a bit like between uh, be- between <laughs> Jamal and myself kind of um, covering everything. You know, Jamal Vera, national team player, and was HR officers, being promoted to operations managers, like all things, competitions, facilities, HR, and and also a lot of marketing stuff at the moment. For those that may have seen the uh, the, the 10 questions with Selena and 10 questions with Patrick that had popped up on Instagram and Facebook recently, which is uh, good content and good to get some consistent stuff out there but he's been doing all that as well so he's been great but he's also flat out so uh, not many hours in a day but uh, look I just need the world to right itself a little bit and we might actually be able to play some international cricket oh one day when we all grow up uh, <laughs> the fair break competition is sneaking up on us i think it starts on the first of may and goes for two weeks or 15 days and you know bef- before we know it that'll race up upon us and yeah as you mentioned selena just one of a number of emerging players that will feature in that competition as well, which is, yeah, another one we can look forward to here at Emerging Cricket. Let's jump into some action that happened last week or concluded last week. The Commonwealth Games qualifier held in Malaysia to determine the final spot for Birmingham 2022. Did go to a full member in Sri Lanka, Bangladesh second, Scotland, Malaysia, Kenya rounding out the five there. Watched uh, quite a bit of this actually on ICC TV. It fell into a, a pretty decent time of the day for us, Nick and, and Tim, watching a little bit of it. We knew coming in that, that Sri Lanka were arguably the favourites of the competition. We we know about their situation with the, the World Cup and missing out on, on that in favour of Bangladesh given uh, the rankings uh, events that transpired late last year at the World Cup qualifier that I don't think we really want to delve into again or you know, it would take another half an hour to talk about it. But looking at the teams, Sri Lanka, outside of Chamari Adipadu, who was dominant with the bat, I don't think a lot really separates most of the teams in this competition, Nick, and I'm sure you would agree with that as well. Came down to that de facto final, which the ICC likes to do, to put the, the two highest teams playing on the final day. Of course, it was only the, the top team after the round-robin phase that did progress, hence why we saw Sri Lanka and Bangladesh playing on the last day. Kinrara held up pretty well. Uh, they had a bit of rain about in, in terms of the week and, and the action on the field, but I think we can probably say that was a pretty fair result. Yeah, I think as we've seen a lot of the time, you know, Malaysia being ready to host stuff at the last minute or, or um, you know, as soon as you, you need to get on the field, Malaysia's just there with some great facilities. And um, I, I think... Yeah, in terms of running this tournament, good on them. And, and it was great to see Malaysia get on the park. Uh, as you said, Chamari Adipadu, by far and away the leading run scorer of the tournament. <laughs> she also took a bunch of wickets. So, yeah, I think, you know, looking at the way Sri Lanka performed, if they didn't have a, you know, they probably still would have beaten a lot of these teams. But at the same time, 
you, you see this a lot with women's cricket and especially at the lower level. Um, Australia is a bit different because they're just streets ahead in the women's game. England, India, South Africa to a lesser extent, but um, a lot of a lot of these players, a lot of these teams have you know one or two world class players, and then the rest are, are just kind of you know not quite up to that standard, and and you know you're able to target them. And if they didn't have Chamari, I, I think it would have been a very flat, you know, very easy to see some upsets happening. I, I think Scotland probably will be a bit disappointed looking at you know the way they performed, and even in that that match against. Uh, Sri Lanka, they got off to a pretty good start with uh, Sarah Bryce and Katie McGill. McGill had to retire hurt, unfortunately, as as she was going. I think she was on about 30 not out of maybe 20 balls. And um, Sarah Bryce hit a couple of boundaries early on too. And they, they looked like they were going to make a fist of the chase. But again, you know, the Bryce sisters, the two top run scorers for Scotland. And yeah, McGill was all right. And But then, yeah, they, they don't have a whole lot uh, below that, um, same same with most of these other teams. They they just there's one or two players that are kind of doing all the work, and and that's something that most women's sides need to do something to address. I think because the talent is quite thin. I mean, <laughs> one one random question I have is, you know, where did Kenya get the money to to get there? Because I know Tim was saying that. Yeah, it's a fair question. <laughs> I know Tim was saying that Vanuatu looked into it and and ultimately couldn't afford it, and I can't imagine that the Kenyan cricket association has a whole lot more money than Vanuatu does so I'm yeah that's uh, quite an interesting uh, <laughs> especially since they couldn't get to the qualifiers at the end of the year to the world cup qualifiers yeah yeah mm. oh, maybe they got support from the olympic association you never know but in saying that you know I don't necessarily think they've got a lot of money from the government before but uh, no you, you're right it's a, it's a lot of money and I look the experience they'll be better for it but it's a long way to go to uh, to not win a game you know they they bowled okay, didn't they? They're restricting Bangladesh to 125 in, in that match, but then getting rolled for 45. But, you know, look, it's I think it's one of those, I feel like it's a start. You know, it's a small event leading into a small event. But, you know, here's hoping we see an element of subsidisation for, or from ICC or whether there's a central fund from Commonwealth Nations. But, you know, I saw some tweets. I think, might, I think Nixon might have actually said that, you know, well, it's not by the ICC. Why should they be expected to pay? But, you know, I think... In the spirit of what we're trying to do here is build a presence in the, the multi-sport world, that it's in the ICC's broader interest to, to get as many countries there performing, and it shouldn't come down to a financial thing. And when we're talking about tens of thousands of dollars, we're not talking about millions or hundreds of thousands that could go elsewhere. So, you know, especially if we're trying to uh, fortify cricket in those Commonwealth nations and, and grow, then, you know, it's just a, a thought after going through this and seeing the kind of costs that we would have needed. And I know this is in a COVID world and we can only hope, cross fingers, and in four years' time, these aren't things that we're having to worry about, about returning quarantine or, you know, days in, in isolation, etc. Yeah, but overall good. But again, it's one of those tournaments, wasn't it? You said there wasn't much that was between all the teams, but it was another nobody four three two one zero wins. Oh, nobody lo- lost to a team <laughs> below them. Yeah, and then only only beat the teams below them, and it was all quite well. I think that's how we probably would have placed the teams at the start, wouldn't we? I guess you could say that as you as you alluded to earlier, the right team went through, but uh, relying on that on that one key player. But yeah, that's the difference, isn't it? With the uh, that Ellen Watson retiring hurt you know that although they were chasing some nine runs and over yes it just you could feel it in the air couldn't you so oh could we be seeing something but uh not to be but uh he's hoping that event goes goes well in 2022 as well and get some get some interest jeez and we're still waiting for news about 2028 because cricket can still be included or because it wasn't on that original list 
No, no, there's the host nation can include stuff and currently the ICC is lobbying the local organising committee. We wait with bated breath as always, but disappointing in terms of unable to make a parody cycle in a competition like this. Don't really have anything much to add, just that looking at, at the wicket-taking column and, geez, Catherine Fraser and, and Abtar Maksud again were, were good for Scotland. But what is it with Scotland and the weather? They, they cop the weather again here, rain-affected <laughs> game against Kenya. Someone's put the mocker they on are. them. They are, they're cursed. <laughs> well, let's talk about the Under-19 World Cup, which by the time you listen to this will most likely be over. Um, we're down to the, well, final three as we record this with Afghanistan, unfortunately losing to England in the semi-final and Australia and India playing in a semi-final tonight. But to look at it from an emerging lens, as we know, there is a big associate presence in this tournament, 16 teams. And while we will question how these teams qualified, for a lack of a better term, and, and using inverted commas, it is good to see an associate presence at the competition. I think overall probably a little bit disappointed by the overall performance of all the associates but there were a couple of positives that we will delve into here uae winning the the plate uh beating the west indies in the plate final is is a great result i think for everything that that's going on in uae cricket and you guys talking to ahmed raza nick last uh last week talking about uae cricket it seems as if the junior process in uae cricket is fairly strong at, at least in the associate circles but there were some positives out of teams like uganda and their performances particularly with the ball and some pretty uh forward-thinking captaincy there was a few videos that did the rounds of a couple of uh very attacking test match like fields set by the Ugandans at least trying to show some sort of initiative on the field, which was good to see. But yeah, in terms of the group stage, Scotland went winless, PNG went winless, Uganda went winless, and Canada went winless. Canada losing out to to UAE earlier on. And yeah, we could talk about the placement games, but in, in terms of the overall kind of consensus, Nick, I'll start with you. Probably a little bit disappointing, but definitely some positives to take out. And a lot of these guys we will see in the international ranks sooner rather than later, I think. Yeah, UAE, definitely the uh, the shining light for the emerging teams in this tournament, coming in, uh, getting that ninth position, which is, you know, a pretty good result for them. And it potentially has qualification implications, although um, it wouldn't be the first time that the uh, <laughs> the, the the rules around qualification have changed uh, to, to suit the higher ranked teams. So, you know, we'll, we'll see how that goes. But um, yeah, great result. And, you know, talking to Ahmed Raza, one of the things that he, he put a lot of emphasis on was... You know the young talent coming through and and the effort that they're going to with working with these young guys who've as as we discussed on the show you know they've grown up in the UAE they they're locals as far as most people would see it just the way that you know the the citizenship works in a lot of these Gulf countries is you know, I mean Ahmed Raza's lived there his whole life born there his family's lived there since the seventies I think um and and they're not citizens so it, it's just one of those things and and people complain about the expats but you know you look at these results and and you see the talent coming through and a lot of these guys will be filtering through into the um into the senior team and and that's one of the things that they've um they've definitely been prioritizing is getting that pathway from the from the youth uh into the senior team and giving them opportunities and i think it's paying off with the results coming through with the senior team as well so 
it, it'll be hard for them to shed the expats tag, but I think stuff like this is going to go a long way to, to you know, making people realise that, you know, they're actually producing their own players and it's, it's not just, you know, washed up players from India and Pakistan who, who are being selected. So, so that's good news for them and, and good news for the emerging game generally. Um, I think looking a bit sort of on the other side of the coin, the most disappointing, I mean, <laughs> Canada were very disappointing, but I always expect disappointment <laughs> with Canada. So that's, that's <laughs> sort of... Pro- I can feel that coming. <laughs> <laughs> that's priced in, but I think Ireland were the, probably the worst of the emerging or, you know, quasi-emerging teams, they really struggled. And, you know, where's the talent coming from for the next generation? It's sort of the flip side of the UAE where they've got all these spinners and batsmen and, and they're looking good. And Ireland, they just look pretty threadbare and it's it's showing in the in the senior team as well. And, that you know, with all due respect to William Porterfield, who's been a great servant of Irish cricket over, over the last sort of 15 plus years, I'm not convinced that he should be still getting opportunities opening the batting for Ireland. So the fact that they're going back to him indicates, uh, you know, there's there's something wrong with the talent pathway and hopefully they can address that. Um, Uganda, as you said, I think they showed good energy in the um, in the field. There was a good catch that made the rounds on social media. Um, I think there was a mancad, which uh, everyone, uh, you know, all the usual mancad opinions came along. Um, but uh, we're, we're all for mancads here, I think. So, you know, good, good for that. Converts, yep. Preach into the, the mancad choir. Wonder, yeah. Now, now that uh, the the chap mancad is uh, is ancient history, you can bury the hatchet on on mancads. But um, yeah, Uganda. A couple of guys, Pascal Marungi looked pretty good with the bat in a couple of innings. Yeah, he had a good tournament. Yeah, again, they, they were a bit outclassed. You know, that just shows that there's a lot of work to be done um, in in that region. But the results that they've shown weren't necessarily better. But I, I think their attitude was pretty good. Canada, I think, just kind of looked a bit flat and and. I mean, maybe I'm just hypercritical, the, 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 you know, the hypercritical fan, but they'd be lucky to make it out of qualifying next time with the, with the quality coming through uh, with the USA pathway programs that they've got happening. So I think, I don't know, that might be the last time we see them in an under-19s World Cup for a little while. You know, disappointing collapse against Ireland, disappointing against UAE. They, they were in with a chance and they, they've had a few opportunities. They just couldn't quite get there and... and um, they just look like they weren't, I don't know, they're just missing something. And, and I guess that's part of the experience of, of going to these these events and, and that'll help. But I don't know. I mean, you look at the national team and a lot of the time, the guys who do well in the underage level just are nowhere in, in terms of making it through to the senior team. So yeah, I'm not sure what's going on there, but um, Canada, yeah, a bit disappointing. PNG really struggled. Uh, we, we heard from Alan Kerr about the sort of the situation with Japan being overlooked despite qualifying last time. And, I mean, I can't see how Japan could have done any worse. So, you know, maybe, yeah, again, PNG were a bit lucky to make it there this time. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Is this is this a problem for them? We, we've seen the national team, again, have had kind of the same lineup for the last four or five years and, and not much change. So where's the next generation of talent coming from? I don't know. PNG, yeah, hopefully they can find it somewhere. Yeah, look, I put the Japan PNG thing to one side and I was on a call with the EAP region today and I think what, what this shows is you need these teams playing cricket. You know, that PNG team has only been able to have sort of interest squad or, you know, in-country yeah, training and, and that and that's also the issues around PNG anyway with COVID there. You know, they've got 30 staff in Moresby alone that are down with, with COVID at the moment. So they, they would have had the, the most imperfect of imperfect preparations. Um, so whether it was Japan or PNG, just goes to show how important it is for these teams to be playing 
well, playing at all because, you know, one qualifying tournament every every two years is great. And that pathway, I know you alluded to it before, of the direct entry for a regional winner, you know, is something different than the under-19s as opposed to the senior. And we're going to see the same in the women's um, under-19s as, as well. I think they were arming and arming because of the number of teams that had qualified or was eligible for the under-19s women's. But it, it just shows that how this needs to be a, a constant thing. And possibility of regional ICC under events again perhaps even younger ones um, like sort of 10 years ago and, and earlier that has sort of fallen by the wayside of how important that is as well for these teams to be to getting that that exposure but it's, a, it's sort of I think you just look through the lens of the senior men's teams as well you know by culling the, the Super League you know you, you're going to have more and more things like this happening if you have teams going to World Cups and aren't prepared people see these results and say oh these countries are crap why are we investing in them but we know there's so so much more to the story you know these are the first time they've played these teams at this level you know on the world stage in a, in a global event this is going to happen and that's you're not growing the game by doing that. Yes, there's some great experience of these teams, but they shouldn't be getting the experience at this level. They should have already played against these sides. There should be... I know we're, it's a broken record, but it's the start of the year, okay? It's like the slate's clean. We can come up with... You know, we can talk about these, thing, these things again. It's just evident that we're not getting that right. And look, we're in a time in history at the moment. We look back and go, wow, that was just crazy. And, you know, PNG has come through the eligibility criteria or the, the rankings criteria the ICC came up. Yep, that's, that's another point highly but they've gone straight into this as cold as you can imagine in their situation so i wouldn't read as much into that if we're in a a normal time but you know what you you've said about the uae team on the flip side of the coin you know this is a uae team full stop you know these it's an under 19 side this is as you you said there's no there's no mercenaries here this is not a you know we had pankaj on the pod last year talking about oman where they've gone from the top down they've brought in professionals and they're trying to build from the top down the uae have been there done that you know and unfortunately some players have betrayed the sport themselves and the uae but in in doing that it's got to sort of peeled the lid off and we're seeing that there's this talent pipeline there which is really exciting you know will we see an emirati male player come through we hope so but in the meantime there are more there are more people from south asia pakistan and india there than there are emiratis so this is as much as a ua team as you can imagine so that's that's really exciting to see but uh yeah that was sort of just my my perspective on that around the the team's performance performances and to echo your concern about Ireland you know we can argue about the senior team not getting county experience because of them being classed as overseas players rather than than locals we can we can definitely pinpoint that on the senior team but that's no excuse for the junior team because the junior team is is having the same same opportunity that they've always had and to tour without the sort of complexities around playing against higher teams or playing in higher competitions or the players themselves playing in league league cricket so yeah concerning it just it really feels like kind of overall where they've got the tick of approval to be a full member but we're not seeing any improvement sort of quite the opposite aren't we sort of throughout the organization on the field so we hope they can turn that around and and one of the threads that you kind of mentioned there that i wanted to just pull on a little bit is that you know you, you talked about that they're starting up the um the under 19s women's program which i think will be great but then also mentioned that they were running you know as you said 10 10 plus years ago and subsequently binned and you know the super league which is um also going in the bin supposedly it it just sort of feels like there's a situation where you know it's sort of a a zero-sum 
attitude in in a lot of ways and you know oh, well, we're doing this good thing and we're starting a women's under 19s program but that means we have to cut something somewhere else or you know we're adding a couple of teams to the world cup so that means we have to cut something somewhere else and there's just this kind of attitude that well if, if you're getting something you have to give something up mm. in terms of developing the game which which i think is really counterproductive and a lot of these things they work best when they work together and th- this kind of takes with one hand gives with the other way of doing things is is very unhelpful and and in a way it's sort of just shuffling around i guess it gets back to the issue of the the in the funding distribution and here's another uh, recurring theme no doubt throughout the year <laughs> um, but the you know just the funding distribution and and you know rich full members getting so much more of, of the funding from the icc than um yeah the v- development program but um that's i guess kind of ultimately the problem is that there's a limited amount of money for development efforts and and it just kind of gets shuffled around and sometimes there's a under 19s program and sometimes there's a regional program and sometimes there's this or that but there's no consistency and and it keeps changing and and there's no um you know you you can't rely on it to be there in sort of five ten years and and plan on that being there and and build your cricket program around it yeah i agree you know from another perspective though i was gonna say on the flip side again i've already said that four times so uh you know sorry everyone on the flip side there's some amazing things the ICC are doing. The ICC have just re- released a learning development app, which will allow the ICC Foundation Certificate, which is sort of akin to a, a level zero coaching course, but includes child protection policies, etc. That is free. And the USA recently released that as the basically the base of their entire new coaches program. And we'll be able to do something similar that basically means that we can track the progress of all our staff, coaches, school ambassadors, community ambassadors, where they are in training and what they need to do, etc. There are some great little tools that are being released, but it's always sort of left hand, right hand um, of, yes, that's great, but when we're seeing the inconsistency across the events like this, you know, already, you know, we've seen the release of that. We, we know the global events until until 2032. You know, that's a, that's a decade in, into the future. But on the flip side, then we lose the Cricket World Cup Super League or and the, who knows what the, whether it's going to go back to being called World Cricket League, who knows, you know, because, you know, quote unquote, because we're getting bigger bigger tournaments the full members want more time to play their bilaterals like no ridiculous that's, that's not the point <laughs> it's just like no that's that's we don't want flying in the face no. of why we're having a <laughs> why we're having a bigger world cup is so countries can be better prepared and we grow the game not so we oh look we'll put all more teams in your world cup on a t20 oh look at the t20 men's you know get 20 teams and only 10 and then 12 for the women's which you know hopefully they change and then oh but by the way you're not going to get a chance to play these countries at all ever because it's not going to make the money and you may play them at the world cup qualifier but probably not because we'll auto qualify more because it's going to be a 14 team men's you know 50 over world cup and t20 it's it's like a couple of steps forward but you know you're almost afraid to take and i watched squid game last week so i'm thinking about a scene in squid game where where um yes (laughs) where you're jumping on these on this glass um and you've got to choose one's either normal glass or tempered and one will support you and the other won't not spoil giving you any spoilers in that a lot of a lot of blood was spilled as is in every episode but it's a bit like it's like you're almost afraid to take a step because am i actually going forward or what am i going to lose for taking this step it's like you know, should I take this or, or should I just be happy? And it shouldn't be like that. We should have a, a future that we're looking at that's, oh, this is so much better. You know, it's, it's building, it's building, it's building from grassroots to the stadium in that, you know, the kids are, kids know what they're looking forward to. You know, when you're talking to sponsors, it's consistent. You know, but, you know, if I'm talking to sponsors and I sort of look back now and think, 
you know, about Vanuatu being pipped on, on rankings by the Philippines for this global qualifier because of how amazing the global qualifiers have been. 2013, 2015, 2019, the men's T20 World Cup qualifier. I need to make sure I point that out because of how the women's World Cup qualifier was recently covered. But, you know, we've gone from one of the best products of associate cricket or of emerging cricket. Yes, you've got some full members, but, you know, on, on the cusp there, the islands and Zimbabwe's, etc. full production, etc. And we're going to have a three-camera stream in Oman for this this eight-team competition. How do you sell that to a sponsor that you've got on board for this great production that you're going to have? Where's the consistency there? You know, and what, what what has happened mid? You know, we're at 2022 with only a year and a bit left in this cycle, and that's been changed. You know, that was one of the, the great things about associate cricket is how well this was put together. And, you know, I guess from one perspective, you say, well, at least there's a quality in how poorly covered the women's qualifier was. The men's qualifiers are going to be just as, you know, get the same <laughs> the same treatment with three cameras. And I don't know how many games are going to schedule on at the same time, and that means we're going to get four different commentary teams, many of whom don't know the players that they're commentating on. Like, we can only hope that's not going to, going to happen. But it, you just exasperating sometimes it's just you know if i could be the human you know, projection of the face palm emoji <laughs> uh, that's basically me you know describe your feeling that is that is a constant feeling so all this great stuff being done and like i said around that the training support you know, the development team are great and then and then these things happen so oh come on Come on. I know this started as a conversation about the under-19s, but you know, as we approach this tournament in Oman, and we'd hoped to hear that they were going to be looking at better production values for for a global event. You know, this counts as a global event. You know, you're only allowed the sort of the little one sponsor on the leading arm, as opposed to one on the front, which I think should be changed for purposes of these events to try and get better exposure for emerging country sponsors. But that's another point entirely. So it's, it's going to be irrelevant because it's going to be on this quality stream that you know we've talked about last year at a, a, a level of production that well the ECL puts it to shame and yeah albeit they, they've set up a private commercial enterprise but it's when you're comparing T10 cricket to what is supposed to be the pinnacle of international cricket for a lot of these countries the highest they've ever played their first chance to be broadcast the world it's really disappointing um, so I think you know that's just building on what you said about the, the inconsistencies and taking one step forward and taking however many back or, or never actually moving together um, forward and always kind of just shifting things around and as you said at the start you know almost like a zero-sum game in that you know oh, well you take some you give there you got to take some from over there which is not going to help us when as a sport anyway we're fighting against so many other pursuits for people's interest these days but also as a as cricket against other sports as well you know we should be embracing our idiosyncratic nature about the Jesus turning into a rant sorry everybody as you're driving to work or Daniel Weston driving along the autobahn and his Ferrari um, <laughs> yeah, but if, if we it's just exasperating um, to see the sport when we've got such great qualities sort of holding holding ourselves back we talk about comp games that's plus you know whether it gets the, in the Olympic Games we'll see associates starting to host but at what cost you know are these teams going to be prepared when they get there so anyway happy new year everybody it's a real good positive start to the year isn't it <laughs> Tim, Tim Wigmore, I think, was talking about the associate program as being the Hunger Games because of the way it's so competitive. So I guess Squid Game is kind of the, the update of that. <laughs> yeah. 
I've been waiting for a green light to start talking again and one hasn't come up because I've just been listening to to you guys talk for about the last five <laughs> minutes. But there were a couple of positives, I think, from an individual standpoint. Oh, yeah, back to the under-19 yeah, World Cup player. Yeah, so, sorry, I've been, Bess. I've been waiting on this for 10 <laughs> minutes. But Juma Miyagi, Uganda, he took 13 wickets in the tournament. Two for against Ireland, three for 33 against South Africa, four for 29 against Papua New Guinea and, and four for 25 against Scotland. And look, I, I know Ireland's campaign was disappointing, but I think... Looking at, at Tim Tector's game, I, I can't see him being out of the frame for um, Ireland selection. There's a couple of kids coming through. Cox is a keeper who he looks like he's got a bit about him, and we know that Ireland have struggled to find that sort of future Ireland keeper in the in the shorter formats. And and who knows what happens in terms of the longer formats of of Irish cricket? We unfortunately know that the situation of Irish cricket being a full member and, and given their last sort of two or three years has left a lot to be desired. Yeah, Humphreys with the ball looks looks a talent as well but yeah Pascal Marungi the, the captain of Uganda decided to put I think six slips in against Scotland at one point which I found quite amusing and had three bat pads in a game against uh, India and the spinner who bowled the particular over actually bowled quite well into his field so I'm trying to stay positive about it and yeah Canada weren't helped by COVID as well having those games at the end the whole team got it didn't they (laughs) I don't know maybe that saved them from some more potential embarrassment you never know but yeah you would like to think that a lot of these guys will find themselves in their national team sooner rather than later and that's one thing that associate cricket I think with the under-19 World Cup, it is actually such a big building block in, in developing future-proof senior-ready players because they just simply don't play enough senior cricket or, or pathway qualifying cricket to really blood these guys in. You, you, you absolutely need this under-19 World Cup and to represent yourself at the World Cup at a decent level in order to kind of work out who's going to be there for the future and who isn't going to be there for the future. And even then, it's a bit of a gamble as well. So, look, hopefully everyone got out what they what they want to get out, at least with the beauty of the Under-19 tournament. There's a bunch of playoffs, and everyone plays the, the same number of games, so they determine where everyone finishes from 1st to 16th. But where do we want to go from here, boys? Uh, we've got, I think it's worth bringing up the Nepal general manager spot again, Timothy, because it's opened up probably a couple of wounds there, perhaps for you personally, and I think for all of us here at the pod as well. But news came out this week out of can that they are searching once again for a Nepal general manager spot. I think it was only 18 months ago they opened it up in the first place, but they only made it applicable for Nepali applicants, which we've we sort of understand the reasoning behind it, but I think we've all come to the conclusion that Nepal needs a fresh pair of eyes from the outside, and they're actively looking for, you know, coaches who are coming from full members, etc., yet the same parameters of their search aren't being applied to managerial and, and, and admin roles, which personally I think is a little bit dumbfounding. Tim, I know that you were beating your head against a brick wall wanting to revolutionize Nepali cricket from a position that you've been in in the past and a position <laughs> that you're in now, knowing full well that you're the very happy in Vanuatu going about your business. But I just feel like the same problems are only going to perpetuate by the search parameters and finding someone from Nepal. I think they've probably exhausted anyone and everyone that could fill that role and do a positive job everyone's had a try we know that can look to be honest there are things stinking up the place in can at the moment because everything's being tried coaches don't want to stay the national team on paper looks good there's not a proper domestic structure outside of a t20 comp that an entrepreneur from the outside is organizing there's obviously 
a systemic problem in Nepali cricket and the way it's being run. So why do they keep trying to reinvent the wheel here by using the definition of insanity here, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result? Took the words right out of my mouth there. Uh, and it, look, it's not just Nepal either. We saw the same when the Netherlands put out their job ad for the recent CEO who had her contract terminated, you know, nine months into it. A little bit different than saying that, you know, you need to speak Dutch. And look, in any of these jobs, you need to be able to communicate with your staff, players, stakeholders, etc. If that's the issue, then that, that should be the only issue and, and, and can be dealt with through the, the application process. But in terms of looking for people with the, the right skills, you know, those skills, you, you want to get the best person for the job, full stop. And someone who you don't need to be from a place to understand systems and processes that can and should be implemented and sometimes having someone from outside who's not a product of that system uh, is exactly what it needs and challenges of can it makes me think of the commonwealth bank ad does yes we can i just have this sort of image in my head of like can can you know do the right thing here so no you said it what has it been misquoted or misattributed to to einstein saying that as the definition of insanity doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result that's what we've got here and we've seen what has happened in the states of them partially getting their act together or at least in sort of finding a partner who's who's funding such a could be an amazing structured tournament for minor league and major league cricket you know nepal's different you know they don't have the sports market or the tens of millions of potential fans but they've got the love for the game and that's you know you'd have 93 other associates biting your hand off um, for having the same fan engagement and yes we've read paris's quotes in the past of you know nepal love cricket until Nepal lose and then Nepal doesn't love cricket you know and there's the, not, not the consistency there but could be amazing we could you know there's there's a potential full member right there if they get their act together and to do that you, you'd, you'd like to think you know I'm looking at from an administrator or board member's point of view that you give yourself the best chance and to me in that kind of role you know if a head coach can be there not speaking Nepali and I don't know whether Pubadu does speak Nepali or whether there's a, a crossover but I'm guessing not because they've had Dave Watmore, I don't think would. No, Dave Watmore definitely didn't. Yeah, Dave Watmore, there we go. You know, um, the majority, it's done in English. So if that can be done with the players. It can be done with staff. And, and you know, if you've got the right person there, that they'd be learning the language anyway to be able to actually communicate. So I just think they're doing it with one hand tied behind their back. And I think it's quite narrow-minded of any board to restrict that. You know, there, there could be issues around visas, but I, I, I doubt it. You know, if they can get a head coach in, you think you get a CEO or general manager in. But, you know, we've got enough struggles in cricket as it is. You, would you want to be making decisions like this and limiting yourself to candidates? So, yeah, when I saw that, I, you know, again, call me the, uh, the face palm emoji again. Now, anyway... Let's move on. We'll finish up with some more positive news, I think, in the associate world. And we'll talk about associates at the IPL and the IPL auction coming up now. Plenty of people put themselves forward for the auction, although to make the final cut, uh, at least one of the teams, one of the 10 teams now with the the, uh, Ahmedabad and Lucknow teams in the competition, one of the teams needs to show at least some interest in the players being put forward to make the shortlist in terms of these players. Uh, A decent associate presence, uh, and Nick's quite almost retrospectively added Tim David to the list, knowing that he is a Singapore international, although he is... uh, 
uh, Australian in the eyes of uh, of many as well, and he is on the auction list, and he played for RCB last year, so you would expect him to be playing some form of IPL cricket this year as well. Just quickly running through the names, three from Namibia, David Visa, JJ Smith, and Ruben Trumperman. Trumperman actually found out about this on his 24th birthday, which is a nice little uh, birthday present for him. Sandeep, as we just mentioned, Sandeep Lamachane for Nepal. Brad Wheel and Safian Sharif for Scotland, which we'll talk about in a second. Uh, there's a name there missing that I was more intrigued by, and then Ali Khan for the USA. There were two big absences, I think, from this particular list. One led his team to the Super 12s with a broken thumb, uh, which we're not 100% sure that you know he had actually put his name in. I was under the impression that he had, but I don't know for certain. And Mark Watt, who just has a knack of taking exactly one for 23, you'd probably <laughs> take that every single IPL game you play, was not part of the list. And someone like Brad Wheel, who was actually quite expensive in, in UAE, did make the cut. So I'm interested in your thoughts, boys. I think we could probably say that David Visa has done enough to probably get a gig somewhere, especially with the two extra teams. JJ Smith still inside the top 10 all-rounders in the ICC T20I rankings, which have just gone live. Ruben Trumpman had a great tournament. I think there's potential here for a lot of these guys to, to get a game, especially with the, with the new two teams. Yeah, I think uh, David Visa, you would imagine, is a you know he's a veteran T20 circuit uh, franchise player. You'd think his skills would be in high demand. You know, big hitting, a lot of variation with the ball. Ruben Trumpelman as well for Namibia. You know, left arm seamer uh, gets the speed up above 140. Can really get has a really nasty bouncer and and can get some swing early. I think he's he's quite threatening. Although you know there are a lot of bowlers um, with a similar kind of profile as him so he's got a lot of competition JJ Smith I think would be a great bargain pickup for any as a squad sort of utility player you know he can come in and bowl a few handy overs and, and smash it at the end I mean we've been we've been pumping up JJ Smith for, for as long as the podcast's been going I think so um, yeah I, I think any team would be good to get him uh, Sandeep again he's a proven performer although yeah, a lot of lot of competition for the you know the spin bowling spot. Brad Wheel from Scotland. I yeah, that's an interesting one. He, um, I mean, Safian Sharif, he'd be a good option. He's he's very talented. Um, bowls a lot of good Yorkers at the death. I, I can see the argument for him, but yeah, Brad Wheel got some stick in the World Cup, and if he's there, but Mark Watt isn't, is yeah, very very strange, because Mark Watt, you know, he's he's sort of um, you know, jamming uh, left arm orthodox. As you said, get, gets one for 24 every time he bowls, apparently. Um, but, you know, that's that's very handy in T20 cricket. So, uh, yeah, very strange that Mark Watt wasn't there. And obviously Ali Khan, the uh, the US Yorker machine, um, would, would be a great addition. And he was due to play for KKR, but uh, unfortunately got injured before that could happen. So that was um, that was unfortunate. But um, hopefully he can he can get picked up as well because, again, he'd, he'd be a great addition to any team. And yes, uh, Tim David, as, as we've discussed, he's registered as an Australian on the list. Um, so I don't know if that says something about his intentions for who he wants to play for going forward. But um, yeah. Well, who, who knows? He might have, they might have just looked at his passport. Uh, yeah, look, echo exactly what you all said about Mark Watt. I actually thought he was a bit of a smoky for, for an IPL spot and to not get through the next stage. I assume that is because you'd need the uh, franchises themselves to look and sort of tick off a, a long list of who they'd be interested in. And I'm... Be, I'd be very surprised considering that the, the level of scrutiny that those stats are done by a lot of those franchises these days that uh, you'd think 
he, he would have been picked up because he got great numbers even when playing against good teams. So disappointing because I, I thought of it. out of all those names, he might have even been more of a favourite than a, than a JJ Smith because, again, he'd be almost like special teams playing on wickets that, that really suited his his style so disappointed for him and a part of the brotherhood but uh, yeah you mentioned that tim david name i you know with him dinging runs everywhere I'm, I'm i fear for uh for singapore's grip on him because we may be seeing him in a uh, black yellow and uh green shirt shortly say yellow it's australian gold my friend and don't you forget it timothy <laughs> We've run out of time here at the Emerging Cricket Podcast. Make sure to log on to EmergingCricket.com for all the news in the Emerging Game, and we'll see you next week.